Welcome to PodClass. PodClass is a podcast from the Center for Visual Culture and Media Studies at Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois. In PodClass, I play a podcast that a student has submitted to my class, and uh, you get to reap the benefits of listening to it. Here is the very first episode with Carrie Baker's History Undead, A History of the Branding Iron. It's a chilly fall morning. The smell of bonfire and worked leather lingers as the sound of calves bellowing in the corral just a few feet away rings in the air. If you listen closely, you might hear the horses and the sound of a lariat cutting through the air and whistling as it whips around. The chorus fades out with a few zips, thuds, and grunts. After a brief pause, the clanking of metal follows, and then a slow, drawn-out The immediate ball of a calf echoes through the air as the metal is lifted. Minutes later, the calf scampers away, and the chorus starts all over again. These are the sounds of branding season. Branding season is a favorite time of year for many ranchers and hired hands across the continental U.S. This day is memorable for many reasons. It is a time of great humility and pride, as the rancher is able to look upon the fruits of his labor. It's a time when the whole crew gathers round to put in a long day's work. There's a lot of laughs and good-natured heckling, but there's also a lot of sweat and dust, blood and mud. Branding season is not for the weak or hasty, the stupid or sloppy. It is a time-honored tradition in cowboy country. It takes a skilled roper, a trusty steed, a steady hand, and most important of all, a red-hot, custom-designed, carefully crafted branding iron. We talk about history like it's in the past, but what we don't realize is that it has this funny way of repeating itself. Today, we're going to look at how the branding iron, a tool dating back thousands of years or more, has survived the trends of time and is continuing to change the ranching industry today. I'm Carrie Baker. This is History Undead. If the knight of the American rangeland could be said to wield any sort of scepter, it would surely be an iron with a wooden handle at one end and a wrought design on the other. This scepter of a saddle is called a stamping iron, Arnold Oren. Called a stamping iron for its ability to stamp a design into the height of the calf, this tool of the trade has remained virtually unchanged, though hundreds of years have passed since the first iron was used. All stamp irons boast a wooden handle, metal shank, and cast iron design. The wooden handle, an improvement to the design over the years, is about 2 to 3 inches thick and about 4 to 8 inches long. Usually made of hickory or mesquite, the handle acts as an insulator, protecting the brander's hands from the heat of the iron. The rounded shank, most commonly made of cast iron, is the width of a finger and about the length of a cowboy's arm. At the end of the shank is a blacksmith's canvas. Most stamps, unique to the rancher, are hammered out of common iron, bent and pounded until they resemble the desired image to a T. The edges are of course flat so as to seamlessly butt up against the hide of the animal and create a precise, legible burn about three to five inches across. Authors of Hot Irons, Arnold Orne and John P. Hale say that if done right, a brand can be read from a hundred feet away or more, a characteristic that has proved especially helpful over the years when the owner is looking for runaways, bovine or being, human being that is. While branding irons are most commonly known for their home on the range, the truth is, branding has been around for so long, most scholars can't even pinpoint the date or location of its origin. Some contribute the earliest brands to aboriginals, claiming that the first branding irons weren't irons at all, 
but rocks that were tossed into a fire, heated up until they glowed like coals, and then pressed onto whatever their user fancied. While the origins of irons are still up in the air, one thing anthropologists know for sure is that once the practice began, heifers weren't the only ones with tattoos on their hides. Early Greeks branded their slaves with a delta symbol, and early Romans branded the letter F on thieves. For centuries prior to 1636, that same mark was branded on the chests of street fighters in England. And around that same time, if you came across a gypsy or a tramp, more than likely they were bearing a burned letter V. The French burned a fleur-de-lis on the left shoulder of prostitutes and adulterers. And as time went on, the human race only got more creative as they started burning offenders on the face of convicted clergymen, thieving women, and witches. Slave owners were no amateurs to the iron, as many used the fiery rod to punish slaves who misbehaved or attempted to escape. Though it is a piece of history we try to forget or even dispute, it is definitely a truth that can't be ignored. While there were hundreds or even thousands of accounts of burns on human flesh, perhaps the most famous account of human branding was that of Olive Oatman. Olive, a young Mormon girl, an Illinois native, was 14 years old in 1850, traveling with her family and a wagon train led by James Brewster, headed for California. Other families had abandoned their journey, but the Oatmans, now traveling alone, surged on. Suddenly, without warning, Olive's family was attacked by a tribe of Yavapai Native Americans in present-day Arizona. Out of seven children and her two parents, only Olive, her brother, and younger sister survived the massacre. Her brother was injured and left for dead, and the two girls were taken captive. The Oatman sisters were slaves to the Yavapai for a year, before they were traded to the Mojave and taken in by a leader family. The two girls were then branded on their chins and arms in ritualistic fashion, ensuring that they were recognized as tribe members and granting them access into the land of the dead. In 1855, however, Olive's younger sister died of starvation. Four years after her capture, due to heightened railroad surveillance, word of a white woman in a nearby tribal village reached Fort Yuma, and a messenger was sent to retrieve her. After extensive negotiation, Olive was released into the care of the military and returned to her brother, who she had believed to be dead. Her transition back into Western civilization was difficult and confusing, as Olive had been assimilated to the Mojave culture and identified as such. Though she eventually found comfort amongst white society again, she was constantly reminded of her past by the brand she bore on her chin. The marks she wore told the story to Olive and the rest of the world of the past she had lived and a future that would never be the same. Since the Oatman girls and the other mentioned accounts of human branding, the practice and even the iron itself has come a long way. While branding irons may be tied to a deep and dark past, today they are a symbol of ownership, pride, hard work, and deep-rooted tradition, a tradition that began with Hernando Cortez. Cortez's story is one of controversy, but that's a podcast for another day. Despite the Spanish conquistador's questionable past, he's crucial to this story for the sole reason that the first cattle to be branded in America belonged to Cortez and bore his brand of the three crosses. Since then, hundreds of thousands of brands have been designed, irons have been heated up and hammered out, and hides have been marked with the badge of their owners. As time has passed, however, the rancher's cattle brand has evolved to be so much more than what it once was. As Virginia Paul put it, that mark declares ownership, labels a man's integrity, and tags him with responsibility. One after another, 
these cattle, this brand, totals his worth. The sole purpose of the brand is no longer just to identify livestock and protect them from rustlers. The brand now is a representation of the rancher, his family, values, and ideals. In a sense, the brand becomes a part of who the rancher is, and the family shows them off with pride. Which is why these days, the cows aren't the only thing boasting a brand. Like Arnold and Hale said, because the rancher invariably comes to love his brand and feel a fierce and sentimental loyalty toward it, he has also placed it on practically everything else under the sun. It's even been said that a cowboy will brand anything he can get a rope around. Nowadays, the marks of the rancher's iron can be seen burned on wagons or gates, pressed on mailboxes, carved into fireplace mantles, embroidered into shirts and handkerchiefs, and even driving by, painted on the side of farm trucks. So even though the turn of the century has expanded the usage and altered the design of some brands, the practice has stayed virtually the same. Though some have tried to introduce to ranchers the practice of chemical freeze branding or electric irons, some have upgraded their campfires to furnaces or propane burners, and others yet have moved on to microchipping, a majority of ranchers still prefer the traditional branding iron. The branding iron has never been just about iron and fire, burnt hair, or marked hides. It has been about overcoming its dark past, not ignoring, but pervading the history that it created. The branding iron is now a generational symbol of ownership, integrity, and family tradition. And that history will never die. You've been listening to Pod Class, a podcast from the Center for Visual Culture and Media Studies at Greenville University. You can find more of our podcasts at soundcloud.com slash medialabgu.